ISC's owner manual, where Chris and I meet with experts in the industry to discuss the real nuts and bolts of Dynasty ownership. My name is Adam Wildey of Dynasty Happy Hour and Dynasty One Fantasy. I'm joined by my partner in crime, Chris Allen. Chris, would you mind introducing yourself and explaining a little bit what we want to do uh, with this love child of ours? Uh, absolutely. And what's going on, everybody? I am Chris Allen. Uh, you can find me on uh, on Twitter at ChrisAllenFFWX. And uh, this is pretty much a project uh, for those that are looking to get into Dynasty and getting a better understanding of you know what you can expect once you get into the community. And from my understanding, and this is actually uh, this works both ways because I am a newbie when it comes to when it comes to uh, the Dynasty format. I've been playing fantasy football for well over like somewhere between five and ten years now. But when it comes to Dynasty, I'm still trying to learn the ins and outs. So uh, my hope is, and I, I think Adam would agree with me that. As we work through this and we talk to some of the, you know, kind of the big names in the industry, uh, Carl being one of them, uh, that, uh, and also talking with uh, some folks on Twitter and whatnot, getting a feel for kind of the ins and outs and some of the nuances and things that, you know, if you are new to the format, these are the things that you can expect to, to see and experience uh, once you get into it. Adam, you think that sums it up all right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, even the experienced uh, Dynasty players, we can always uh, kind of tweak tweak our game a little bit. So we spend so much time on player valuations, uh, buy lows, sell highs. We don't really talk about the uh, the nuances of being a Dynasty owner and, and, and the little things, the interactions and things like that. Um, so that's what we're trying to get out of this series. We, uh, we'll get the best of the both worlds. Um, today we're joined by Carl Safchik. I'm a longtime fan of his. Excited to finally meet him. Uh, Carl, you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Yeah, my name is Carl Safchik. I've been doing Dynasty fantasy football for about 13 years. Um, I, I, if, if I recall correctly, I don't think this is our first time talking. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm excited to talk to you guys. So, you know, I'm an open book. Whatever you want to ask me, you know, I have plenty of experience i've had the ups and downs of dynasty i've had many losing years i've had a few championships so i have experience i may not be perfect but i've been around the block a few times yeah and and i'm kidding of course those of you that know carl and i uh carl's my older brother so i've known him for roughly two 22 years well wait a minute, um, hold the phone i had i had no idea guys <laughs> <laughs> yep older brother of mine um so Carl got me into the industry. Um, I grew up learning about dynasty football from Carl's insane league, uh, D's Nuts Fantasy League. So first, Carl, can you spell D's Nuts for me? And then could you tell us all about that league? Sure, yeah. That was that was an intense league. That was maybe the more most in-depth league I've ever been in, and it was my first one. I mean, I really jumped into the fantasy football world the dynasty world like two feet you know head first in um so yeah it was these nuts d e e z nut you know everybody knows what that is so i mean this league i mean it started you know just kind of your normal dynasty it was actually more of like an extended redraft at first uh we had uh, 16 teams quarterback two running backs three wide receivers a flex uh, we started doing IDP fairly early. I think I think 13 years ago we started with team defense, but I think like 
the second or third year we we switched to IDP almost right away. We ended up implementing offensive lines. We implemented head coaching. Uh, we did defensive scheming. Where, <laughs> I mean, it was it was very very in depth, and like everybody was very much into it. And I would I I, I mean I don't even think I made the playoffs like the first like seven years I was in it. Uh, these guys were you know even though I started thirteen years ago, these guys were more experienced than me. So uh, it took me a long while. And then one year I just decided, you know what, but I'm going to start building a team. And I know that seems like very normal with the people that play nowadays that everybody wants to build with those rookies and everything. But really back in the day, I mean, we didn't have much resources about much of fantasy football at all, let alone rookies. So we were drafting. I mean, my first draft picks were Priest Holmes, uh, Tiki Barber, and Lamont Jordan. That's well, taking so, yeah, so, I mean, I was going running back, running back, running back, you know, all somewhat old guys. I mean, Tiki Barber was still sort of young then, and Lamont Jordan was young, but Lamont didn't have a long career. Uh, Tiki Barber did, but I think I ended up trading him for, like, Cedric Benson or something like that. So um, it took me a long while to really end up learning to build, which I think a lot of people nowadays, maybe that's the first thing they learn is how to build. Yeah, and before I kick it to Chris, uh, could you tell us real quick, how on earth did you draft head coaches, and what did they do? The head coaches, uh, we had an auction. So it was actually a salary cap league. Mm -hmm. It was kind of lenient in the salary cap sense. It wasn't like you see some of these really sophisticated salary cap leagues. Um I mean, there was a salary cap. So the head coaching was an auction, and they usually went for way more than they should, uh, according to the salary cap. So the way that you scored points with head coaches was a win was worth five points. A win by ten or more was worth ten points. A loss was worth three, and a loss by ten or more – or I'm sorry, a loss was negative three, obviously, and a loss by 10 or more was negative five. Okay. So they wow. didn't have a whole lot of uh, of outcome on the game, but, I mean, they did matter for sure. Right. So, Chris, you're uh, relatively new. Could you tell us a little bit about the first league you did and a little bit about your experience with that league? Sure. Uh, the first league that I was in, uh, it was a more of a casual league with some folks that, uh, that I'd met um, at work in the labs. And uh, it was really just, I walked into work one day, they literally asked me, like, hey, new guy, like, have you played fantasy football before? And I said, yeah, I've done it a couple of times. They're like, great, you're our commissioner, and, we're, and you're joining the <laughs> fantasy football league. Uh, so we wound up doing a 14 teams, standard setup uh, in terms of points, uh, complete redraft, and then, uh, I mean, for one, trying to, again, get... You know, 13 other people's schedules to line up and, uh, you know, finding the venue and, you know, making sure everybody got set up and they understood at least, uh, you know, the ins and outs of just drafting, let alone, you know, uh, you know, once we got into the regular season, making pickups and whatnot. I, I did not prepare not one iota like for, for that draft. So I think uh, this was back in, I want to say it was 2012 or 2013, something like that. Uh, yeah, it had to have been 2012, if I'm not mistaken. And mm-hmm. uh, it was in 
August, we wound up doing it in my garage, and like, I live in Ohio, so it was like super hot. Everybody was sweating. It was on a whiteboard because that was about the best that I could get at the time. And uh, all I can remember was having like 13 people, 13 other people piled in my garage, and we're just sitting there yelling and screaming over each other uh, for our draft picks, which we had to put up with uh, with uh, using. Uh, you know, notepad and paper nice. at the end of it in order to get all the picks up there. And then at the end, everyone's sitting there taking pictures of the board, uh, you know, with their camera phones to remember all their picks because we couldn't put them into the ESPN, uh, ESPN app like as we were going along. So it was an absolute mess. I think I wound up uh, drafting uh, Plaxico Burris uh, when he was still suspended and he didn't even wound up uh, finding a team that season. Um, Cedric Benson, I think I had on my team, and I think that was the, his last year when I think he went out with a Liz Frank injury in like week three or week four. Um, uh, it was uh, it was just it was just an absolute absolute mess. I think I I don't even think I made the playoffs, which I had zero intentions of doing in the, in the first place. After looking at my team, it was a mess. But uh, yeah, yeah. For for first time going around, and well, first time commission uh, being a commish, and then also you know playing with that group of guys. I mean, it it was fun, and I think that's the whole reason why we do fancy football to begin with is to is to have fun and enjoy you know football from a different angle. So from that perspective, I think I had I had a you know really enjoyable time. Absolutely, and a huge reason we're doing this series is to get back to having fun and making things fun for everybody. I, I know, especially guys like us in the industry, this starts to become a chore. I mean, I'm watching so much film right now that it's crazy. I don't, it's hard to even enjoy the football. Um, real quick, on my first league, I always read Carl's coattails, so he he was pretty much who I followed around for the uh, the majority of my life. What he was doing, I was doing. So I joined my first fantasy league. Um, Peyton Hillis was on the Papa John's mm. box. I remember this. Yeah, I, I remember took this. Peyton Hillis in the first round, and I don't know if I got a single start out of Peyton Hillis. Oh, wow. So <laughs> <laughs> fast forward a couple years later, I joined Carl's uh, Dynasty League when an orphan opened up. So my first Dynasty League as well was not, not complex. It's pretty standard for what we've got going on now, us, one QB, but um, IDP. So – uh, my very first trade on my very first day was Marlon Brown for Monty Ball. Now, Monty Ball was good uh, at the time, and Marlon Brown, I had remembered him scoring two touchdowns, and uh, I was proud of myself for knowing somebody that wasn't uh, a top 12 player. So I figured uh, Marlon Brown is this great player. Sorry, and I think I said it backwards. I traded brown for or i traded ball for brown i was definitely on the losing end of that trade so much so that carl tried to stick up for me and get him to kick me a third um because it was so bad uh so yeah that was my first experience and i think that goes to say that uh it's really okay to suck at first uh that's the fun in it so uh let's get into the questions we really just want to pick carl's brain a little on this uh this first overview episode so chris if you'd like to get to your first question for carl let's jump into that oh absolutely 
And uh, Carl, so I know that uh, at least from from our conversations, uh, both through Twitter and uh, in person, I wouldn't really consider you to be an opinionated person. Um, so, I mean, so we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll hop right into it. And uh, so uh, here, I'll, I'll give you a take and then you give me a, give me a counterpoint for it. Because, again, I'm, I'm walking into this uh, almost completely, uh, you know, completely blind in a sense because I, I don't have a ton of dynasty experience. So if I were to say, you know, because I want to try and find a way to differentiate uh, dynasty format from anything else that I've, I've done in the past, which has been typically either like redraft, daily fantasy, you know, something like that. So here, here's my take. Um, dynasty is simply, uh, you know, uh, re- a redraft league, a keeper redraft league on roids. What would your counter be to that? Well, I mean, I don't know if you want me to, to say that you're wrong. I think you're definitely right. I mean, it's you're, you're, you're getting into a marriage with these players. I mean, unless you're trading them away, like if you draft Antonio Brown, you you can have him for the rest of his career. The trades that you make, the draft picks that you make, you're making them with the knowledge that you can, uh, your mistakes can uh, be exponential, and your your hits, the guys that you that you draft or trade for. Uh, that turn out to be good or better than expected can help you out exponentially. So when you're in a redraft league and like Adam said, he, he drafted Peyton Hill as first overall. And I don't think he was only just on the Madden or on the Papa John's box that year. I think he was also on the Madden cover that year. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, even at the time I, I probably advised you against it, but um there were definitely other people drafting him in the first round. So when you do a redraft league and you draft a player, maybe that you shouldn't, you know, next year, I mean, you can start brand new, but in dynasty, if you make a bunch of draft picks that you shouldn't, or make a bunch of trades that you shouldn't, you need to go in rebuild mode. But if you draft a player like last year, like Kareem Hunt or Alvin Kamara a little bit later than, you know, uh, you would this time this year, your hits are going to be exponential as well. So that makes it, a little bit more, like you said, it was on Roy's. It makes it a little bit more extreme in that way that uh, your your every decision you make can be amplified to an extent. I see. So, I mean, so when you're doing that, I mean, would you recommend it for somebody that's kind of walking into fantasy for the first time? Is it because when you're talking about you know looking at a player's uh, not necessarily their value, but I mean, in a sense, you're looking at their value like year over year. Uh, but in you know if you if that's something that you have to monitor would that be something that you would recommend to somebody that's you know kind of hopping into fantasy for the first time or would you say that it's more for somebody that's a bit more savvy i mean to be an expert it you need to be more savvy but i don't think that there's any problem the only the only way to 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 learn is to do it i think and that's the way that i learned is to just go ahead and jump in as i mentioned my first ever fantasy league was a dynasty league it was not redraft so um I don't think that there's any cookie cutter league that people should jump into if they are beginners. I think that any scoring format, any type of salary cap, IDP, anything like that, if you know you're willing to put the time in it and have fun with it, I think it's perfectly fine to jump into a quote unquote uh, complicated league. But if you if you know you want something simple, obviously maybe that's not for you. But I don't think people that are listening to this podcast necessarily want simple. I think they I think they know that they might 
you know, have a good time doing this or at least anticipate have a good time doing this. So feel free to jump in with Dynasty. I mean, it's really fun and you just learn as you go and have fun. And if you make a mistake, just know that we all, I mean, all three of us mentioned our first fantasy <laughs> league. None of it went well for any of us. So uh, if you know that that you're willing to fail and willing to learn, then go ahead and feel free and jump into a dynasty league. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree. And uh, But I mean, and so now that I've I've gotten a taste for, uh, for at least – for dynasty like over this past this past season uh but i i do want to kind of pick both of your brains now that i have you both uh, with me here and understand like are there uh different aspects to football not necessarily just fantasy but just football in general that you guys uh you know start tracking more once you get into dynasty and like examples of this would be player contracts uh you know the off-season free agency trades like actual football news do you find yourself tuning into that much more often and becoming i would say not necessarily more of a fan of just the you know the game of football in general uh, but you know starting to at least understand that you know there's you know while we're playing a game within a game, we need to understand the fact that, you know, the NFL is, you know, kind of where we're, you know, that that game that we're playing inside of that we have to pay attention to. Do you guys find yourselves, you know, paying attention to that a bit more? Yeah, so um, I I think that if you followed me at, at all um, with my writing, I, I don't do the, the Odell Beckhams or the Alvin Kamaras. Plenty of people do that. Um, I'm looking more at players like JJ Nelson. Uh, so, to your point, are are we looking more into regular football since we're in dynasty? Well, yeah, because we're basically GMs at this point. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking at JJ Nelson. I don't think he's good whatsoever, but you know what? He might be a wide receiver too on his team this year, and then next year after his inflated stats this year potentially maybe he gets a big contract like we saw with Paul Richardson this year so those are things that uh you're looking at now before I just cared if the Redskins won or lost and uh you know I played football for 13 years I knew what was going on liked watching the offensive line things like that I'd consider myself a big fan but I tell you what I would have never cared what JJ Nelson or Leontay Carew were doing you know before I picked up a dynasty team what do you think Carl? Well, just to clarify you, I think you do care about Odell Beckham and, and Alva Kamara, just maybe not in your writing, right? Is that what <laughs> no, you no, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't mean I don't care. I just mean that others are covering them. Right. But we need to take a deeper look at the players that aren't obviously amazing. Sure, and to Chris's point, there's so much more um, than just our opinion about players. I mean, draft position, uh, the amount of salary players are going to get. I mean, everybody fell in love with Jeff, with Jeff Janis when he came out because he had this amazing athletic profile. But the fact of the matter is seventh-round picks rarely pan out. So that's really important. When players fail to get a big contract that we thought they would, a la uh, – Terrell Pryor this past year, those are big red flags. So even if they don't show up in the dynasty metric spreadsheet, you know, formulas or whatever, which are obviously very important, we can look at these factors like draft position, which we have yet to come up with a metric more valuable than just simply draft position. We look at uh, player contracts. I mean, all these things are very, very important. Chris, Chris hit that nail on the head. I mean, those things are important. And, and before I became 
a fantasy football fan like Adam. I was a fan of football. I didn't make it as far, you know, into high school football as Adam did, but I, I played as well and just have always been a fan. So, you know, I love watching tape. I love looking at the numbers because of fantasy, but there are always just more intricacies. The more you go down that rabbit hole that, you know, you keep looking, even if it isn't, isn't directly fantasy related, you can direct it in a way, because as Chris said, it's, it's this game within a game. So you need to understand the game a la football before you really understand the game of fantasy football, I believe. And I, yeah, and that's and that really insightful. Thanks both of you guys. Cause it's been, I mean, cause my approach, I mean, for, for both of you guys, I mean, you guys have been, you know, following me for, you know, for some time know that at least my approach to the fantasy football has been through, through analytical, the analytical mm-hmm. uh, lens. And that's, you know, my background in engineering and, you know, I like looking at the number side of things. So if I can, you know, apply stats and metrics to, you know, how a player performs, that's typically how I've approached the game. But now, since, you know, looking at Dynasty, there's like this whole other level that you can kind of tack onto it to say that while a player may or may not be good based off of, you know, XYZ metric, there's more to it to say that, you know, well, because he was picked in this round or he got this, you know, this type of contract or, you know, there he's, you know, third or fourth on the depth chart or, you know, there's so many other, you know, variables that we have to take into consideration when it comes to dynasty that, uh, you know, age, I mean, just, I mean, one of those things where I, I didn't even, I, I would not have even have cared about a player's age because I would just look at their past production almost like one season prior and been like, okay, well, you know, they, they performed well last season. Uh, you know, they seem to still be in good health. Uh, the team seems to still be, you know, in the same shape as it was in the prior, you know, the, in the previous season. So everything should be okay, and I should be able to, you know, evaluate that player as I did in the, in you know, in years past. But when it comes to dynasty, I mean, you really can't do that. And you know, the player seems to lose a ton of, like, not a ton of value, but a significant amount of value when it comes to their age. So there are those extra metrics that we do have to pay attention to. Perceived value and lose perceived value. Absolutely, absolutely. Which is important. I mean, uh, it's almost equally as important. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, and again, uh, you know, now that we've kind of, you know, touched on some of those other variables, I mean, Carl, can you think of any other, uh, you know, aspects of Dynasty or, you know, other things that that you track that we haven't really gone over yet or touched upon yet? Well, I mean, you mentioned age and um, you mentioned the the value that they lose and, and, and more so perceived value, which is honestly close to as important, like not only just scoring points, but the perceived value that your team has to be able to trade them for the future is very important. One thing that I like to look at more than age is uh, age adjusted production which means to say if you were a very young college player that did very well, then you should be able to do well in the NFL rather than if you didn't break out until your senior season, like players like Kelvin Benjamin, uh, Kevin White, players like that, Uh, players like Amari Cooper, Cooper, Juju Smith-Schuster, not only did they uh, break out at very, very early ages in college, they also broke out at very early ages in the NFL. So that bodes well for their longevity and production over the course of, of their perceived longevity. Um, so a lot of people fell in love with a player like Kelvin Benjamin when he first came out. And a lot of uh, a lot of us fantasy analysts really pre- predicted that 
Kelvin Benjamin would have a very good rookie year because although he was a rookie, I believe he was 24 years old. So you would you would expect him to kind of be entering his prime, uh, you, you know, and compared to a player that might be coming into the league at age 20. Um, and, and he had very little competition. So after Calvin Benjamin had a great rookie year, a lot of people were putting him up in the second round of dynasty startups or some even higher when uh, a lot of us analysts said, hey, look, you know, the reason that we had him lower on our rankings was because, yeah, we thought he was going to have a good rookie year, but it might not translate to a great career, which it's starting to seem uh, that it's going to happen like that. And you could say the same for Kevin White, although he was mainly derailed by injuries. Now you see guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, Amari Cooper, who I mentioned, who have great rookie years. Those are the players I'm looking to buy because you might see them uh, – be great for the rest of their career. And then you can juxtapose that on players like uh, Antonio Brown, who, yeah, he's 28, 29 years old, but he's putting up historic numbers. So I'm not treating him as a, as a normal 29 year old. I'm treating him as a player who I've seen what Jerry Rice, Larry Fitzgerald players like that have done at 29 and I'm saying to myself, well, there's no reason to think that he'll be slowing down anytime soon, as opposed to a guy like, I don't know, uh, Des Bryant, who is already trending down, is about the same age. And although he was very, very good in his prime, he was never putting up historic numbers like Antonio Brown is. So that's when I discern players that are really good as opposed to great and trending down at 29 rather than still putting up historic numbers. I, th- I think it's I think it's easy to say, okay, I want to sell a guy at 29. I want to got- buy a guy at 22. But it's easier to predict what they're going to do when you look at their production and their age and kind of adjust it to um, fit what, what we've seen in a lot of models with uh, age-adjusted adjust- production. And to bring that kind of full circle uh for the for the listeners that are just trying to get into to dynasty leagues uh, kind of wondering what the heck we're talking about um basically there you've got to do do something when you come in you know so so there's rankings you can look at there's uh there's analytics but another thing we didn't touch on yet is also film I do a lot of film watching mostly because I spent so much time doing it in high school uh we're a very competitive team um, so that's what I'm good at. So that's what I stick to. Uh, now that is not to say that I completely ignore analytics. I just know that people are smarter than me and they can do the, the analytics work themselves. I'm going to watch these players and see how their hips drop and things like that. Um, so these are the type of things that when you get into dynasty football, um, you can do to kind of figure out what these, uh, what these players are all about because, you could go just off of these rankings, but like Carl said, uh, Calvin Benjamin was getting up into the second round, and that's ADP data right there. So we're using the heck out of ADP data. I mean, Ryan McDowell does a great job with DLF with all those ADPs, and I love using it. But you got to remember that's Joe Schmo and and whoever drafting on there because of. So if you didn't go look at the film yourself on Calvin Benjamin, or you didn't check out the statistics yourself you would have never known and you would have drafted him in the second round yourself and you'd have been basically stuck with Calvin Benjamin at this point. Um, so when you do get into these leagues, whether you're 
uh, a new owner that has no idea what you need to look at or you're an owner that's been doing it for a while, but you've only been looking at that ADP data or those awesome DLF rankings that you can't uh, use like the Bible. Um, now, now you know these are some of the things that you have to look at. Um, but yeah, um, definitely. And Carl touched on the age. That was the next thing I wanted to get to. Um, so we're, we're talking – Carl mentioned Antonio Brown. Yes, Antonio Brown's twenty nine. Um, some of the sometimes the general ta- uh, generational talent doesn't doesn't age the same as regular talent though. So that's another thing you have to look at. Um, I know we we said we weren't going to get into player valuations. I just wanted to mention we uh, I made a deal for Antonio Brown and Mike Evans today, and the reason the reason I bring that up is because I was able to get Antonio Brown for Mike Evans because of that 29 years old. Um, don't think anything's wrong with Mike Evans. He's my wide receiver four. Antonio Brown's my wide receiver three. Uh, but I'm looking at a two to three year window. And I think that Antonio Brown will outscore Mike Evans for the next two to three years, which is great for my roster. Uh, so I just wanted to throw a question back at Carl. Uh, Carl, how many years are you looking out when you uh, when you're creating your team, I mean, are we are we trading down to 21 year olds like Juju because um, you know you want to be good for the next nine years, or when are you trying to win a championship? What do you think? That's that's a really good question, and I don't think that there's a solid answer for it. I think a three year window is very fine to look at it, and in that sense, you mentioned that Antonio Brown uh, could outscore Mike Evans over the the next three years. I think that that's probably to be redundant. I think it's probable that he would outscore Mike Evans over the next three years. I also don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that Antonio Brown outscores Mike Evans. Uh, Antonio Brown could be in a league longer than Mike Evans. Mike Evans has had a very good couple of years, but he's also had a down couple of years in his first four years. So players like Mike Evans, um, I, I don't see him as generational. And and as you mentioned, we're not really doing player comps right now. But the, but the fact of the matter is, you also can't look at that number and think, okay, there's a six-year difference or whatever it is between those two and think, okay, well, Mike Evans has six more years than Antonio Brown. It just, doesn't work. It just doesn't work like that. You know, Antonio Brown could play till he's 37 and Mike Evans could play until he's 30. That would mean Antonio Brown would play one more year than Mike Evans. So, and, and I, I'm by no means saying that that's going to happen or predicting that it can happen. But it's so easy to look at the age number and just say, um, okay, this player is going to play longer. Um, and the same with Juju Smith and Amari Cooper, who I said, I mean, they had both had very good, very good rookie years. Amari Cooper had a good sophomore year and and slumped a little bit in his in his third year, but. Um, that's not to say that they're going to play 13 years. We, we have very little, little data on them. Things can happen from injuries to off-the-field concerns. Um, so I, I think three years is very fair to look at it. If you look three years ago at some of the ADP data, you're going to, you're going to see some players young and old who are no longer in the league anymore. Um, so, I, yeah, I think three is fair. But I also think, like, if you're looking at a player like, for instance, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and um, A.J. Green, and you think those two – and I'm not saying I'm ranking Juju ahead of A.J. Green. I'm not saying 
the other way around either. I'm just right. saying, like, maybe if you have those two very similar in your ranks and you're saying, you know what, over the next three years, I think they score about the same, then maybe you do take that age number into consideration and say, okay, well, maybe they score the same. Maybe three years from now, A.J. Green is uh, is exiting his prime, you know, kind of entering those twilight years, and Juju Smith-Schuster's, like, in his prime. Um, so, again, as you mentioned, and, and I'll echo, these, I'm not stating what my rankings are. I'm just kind of st- using those players as an example. But I do think three years is fine. I think a little longer than that with quarterbacks is okay, too. I mean, you see players, you see dynasty owners uh, being cautious with players like Aaron Rodgers for years. You've seen dynasty owners be cautious with Tom Brady for probably five years, Drew Brees. I mean, these players have been winning you fantasy championships for the past five years, but we got spooked off with the age number on them, even though quarterbacks last way longer, especially Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Uh, uh, I wanted to kick it to you for the next question uh, for Carl, if you've got another one for him. And then I've got a few here for him, too, that I'd love to jump into. Sure, sure. And uh, so building off of uh, our, our current conversation when it comes to understanding you know, the, the age gap between you know, some of the proven veterans, whether they be wide receivers, quarterbacks. I mean, let's let's try and keep it, at least for, for my questions, keep it position and agnostic. Yep. Um, do you, uh, when it comes to dynasty formats, do you have at least a stronger grip on the incoming class year in and year out when it comes to rookies? Because speaking for myself, when it comes to redraft, uh, you know, the first thing that I see is that, okay, well, I'll evaluate the, the player, uh, you know, I'll say, you know, I'll look at their situation and say, okay, well, you know, easy. Let's say the easy example being, all right, I see Ezekiel Elliott. He's going to he's going to the Dallas Cowboys. Excellent offensive line when he was drafted. So it's going to be a slam dunk. Okay, I can understand him going in the first round. But now let's take it back. Let's say the year prior, or was it two years prior? Let's look at a rookie that uh, received a lot of hype, Laquan Treadwell. Now. Mm-hmm. I heard a lot of hype about him coming out of the, uh, coming out of the combine and then through the draft, and then I know he slipped a little bit in terms of his uh, projected draft position from where he was drafted. But I mean, do you guys, you know, in the dynasty community, did you not necessarily see that coming? But were there indicators to say that, well, you know, based off of X, Y, Z? Uh, you know things that we you know, that you heard or news that you heard, had heard during the process that would give you those you know kind of put up those red flags to say that well I'm going to stay away from him during my during my rookie drafts and he's not going to be somebody that I'm going to really you know look or try and target in my drafts. So with rookies, it, they're like kind of a whole different animal. You know what I mean? They're, they're, it's almost like you're playing the lottery. Uh, the further you get up in that first round towards like Ezekiel Elliott that year, um, and that was uh, that was the same year I believe that uh, Laquan Treadwell came. Okay, yeah, yeah. I believe it was, so. It was, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, with running backs, it's a little bit different. I will I will say that for Ezekiel Elliott getting drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, having the best line in the game that year, maybe the best line in a long time in the NFL. Uh, then I will take uh, situation into account. Uh, Laquan Treadwell, hey, there should have been red flags with him when he was the fourth wide receiver drafted, I believe, when everybody kind of thought he was going to be the first. 
Um, I believe 10 out of 10 dynasty analysts would have drafted Laquan Treadwell over Will Fuller, despite the fact that Will Fuller was drafted in the NFL over Laquan Treadwell. But without using Laquan Treadwell as kind of the only example, because there's so many hits and misses that we have in the NFL draft and that NFL teams have in the NFL draft, rookies have such a larger variance than, uh, than veterans do. Because we just don't know how their game, no matter how great they looked, and there are some great uh, analysts when it comes to college players, they get so many wrong because they're playing a different game than we are when it comes to analyzing veterans over analyzing rookies. I mean, you can have some of the best rookie analysts, and they're just going to have a lower hit percentage than some of the people that are evaluating the free agency class, for instance. So that doesn't mean to mean to say that they're doing a worse job than us it means to say that their job is much harder um so when you get in when you get those rookie picks a lot of times you could say hey i'm gonna get james washington this year or or a few years ago say i'm gonna get laquan treadwell who a lot of people had as their first overall rookie before the draft happened and it sometimes it just does not work out but sometimes you can, you know, a couple years ago, you could get a guy like Michael Thomas who fell to the second round in the NFL draft and fell back to like the eighth pick in uh, rookie drafts, and you can hit a gem on him. So it, it's it's a lot more of a lottery type thing. It's a, you're you're gambling a little bit more. The upside is 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 so valuable with rookies, but the basement can really bottom out. Gotcha. Okay. Absolutely. And I, I wanted to touch real quick on on the rookie draft because that's awesome that you brought that up, Chris. Uh, that's a huge animal when you're when you're joining Dynasty. So if you're if you're one of these people that are just joining Dynasty, uh, this is something you want to hear about. And if you're someone that's been in the, in the industry or in Dynasty, uh, this is something you know all about. Uh, if you don't want a bust then don't participate in the rookie draft. Right. And it sounds as if I'm as if I'm joking with you, but no, seriously, you can trade out of those picks if, if you don't want to take the sure. chance because as Carl alluded to, it, it is a lottery. I mean, uh, you may have gotten Alvin Kamara at 111 last year. Uh, he was drafted behind Ingram. Nobody was really pumped about that. I mean, we knew Alvin Kamara was good. He was a pretty solid receiving back, but okay, he's got Mark Ingram in front of him, and Mark Ingram's doing great. Who knew that they were going to be that double-headed monster? And then you could have drafted Trent Richardson. Look how Trent Richardson worked out, you know what I mean? And we drafted him very early. So you never really know exactly what you're going to get in a rookie draft, no matter how much you do. And it it really kind of sucks because you're spending as much time as I am and way, way, way more time than me for some of these guys watching this film just to find out that it doesn't really matter. Um, so just know that that's an option when you get into these dynasty leagues. If you're not seeing a lot of guys that you like or even better, if you find guys later down the road that, that you like in the rookie draft, trade back your pick or or trade for uh, a proven talents. So, yeah. Uh, very good you brought that up, Chris. Well, if I can ju- if I can jump in, actually, uh, the Trent Richardson was a good example because even though a lot of people probably drafted him 101 that year, uh, which means to say the first pick in the rookie draft, he had a pretty good rookie year and actually was selected first overall in a lot of dynasty league, like a lot of dynasty startups the very next year. So yep. it doesn't mean you're just out of the woods when it 
when it comes to um, rookies when once they're past their rookie year or even sophomores, third year guys. The whole thing is a, is a lottery. A whole thing is is a coin flip, and you know you you want to gather as much information as you can. And while the variants of rookie drafts are probably more than uh, startup drafts, you're really you you have to be willing to lose in dynasty and just you know you know you know that really ugly face that Eli Manning makes like after yes. he throws an interception oh, yes. <laughs> yes. but but then he just forgets about it and you know we've seen it in the Super Bowl and he just he literally just forgets that he threw an interception you got to be willing to do that in dynasty and just take a guy that you know I, I was all in on Philip Dorsett 2 years yep. ago I was all in on John Ross last year a, a lot of those rosters that I drafted those two guys on and and I and I traded picks to get those guys i'm still doing very well because you know i i I, I took my shot in other instances as well which was able to build my roster so you're going to have those guys not only did we already hit on the fact that me adam chris all of us did really bad our first few years in, in fantasy but even now that i've been playing for 13 plus years i'm still missing huge on yep. guys like Philip Dorsett, Leonte Carew, who I put a lot of stock in. Um, hey, you hold your tongue. Hey, I'm, I'm, I still have him on a couple teams. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, there were people, you mentioned Alvin Kamara at 111, there were people that took Alvin Kamara and Kareem Hunt after Samaj P. Ryan last yep. year. Absolutely. And, oh, wow. and, and even maybe Joe Williams in some cases. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't really look back and say, man, I was a huge idiot. You got to look back and say, I took a swing. I missed. I'm going to swing again next year. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that, um, I know, Adam, you'd wanted to talk real quick uh, about some uh, some dynasty nuances. So I'll flip it over to you. And uh, I think we're yeah, getting to be about that time to end the show. So uh, go ahead, Adam. Yeah, fantastic. So the last thing I wanted to finish with is uh, I wanted to give a pet peeve for both for all three of us, myself, Carl, and Chris. Uh, just things that you know we're not calling anyone out. We're not saying that anyone's doing anything wrong. But like I said in the beginning, this is supposed to be fun for all of us in the league. Um, and some of these things just really make make it not fun and really make uh, kill the the morale in the league, which is huge because uh, as we've been talking about this whole time, we've been we've been drilling home the big difference in dynasty is that you're keeping this year in and year out just as you keep your players year in and year out you keep most of your league mates year in and year out uh you'll find you're going to build lasting friendships and you'll find you got that guy that just gets on your nerves um but for my first pet peeve uh to kick this off i just wanted to talk about something that chris and i are going to get to in later in the series which is um Basically, trading, building rapport, uh, how to communicate, things like that. One thing that drives me crazy is that guy that tells me, uh, or you, or whoever, uh, don't contact me about trade offers, just send them to me. So here's my problem with this. You send a trade offer, they get an email. They might be in the middle of their workday. They have thousands of emails. They see their email. Maybe they're considering it. Maybe it was a good trade offer, and they wanted to accept it. But then they move on about their day, forget that it was ever sent. Um, so why 
don't we contact each other on the social media that we talk to each other on every day or Voxer or all these other things that Chris and I are going to mention in the later part of the series um, and just talk about it. Hey, I'm, I got my Antonio Brown for Mike Evans trade done in maybe 20 minutes because I sent a text message. Hey, how, how do you feel about this player? I feel this way about this player. Well, could you add a little bit? Sure. Done. Just like that. You send an email, you're sending emails all day. Um, you know, the offers might go back and forth. And lastly, to my point, you have absolutely no idea what player I like uh, by just sending an email. I might think that Carlos Hyde's the worst running back in the entire world. Why did you send me an offer for him? Well, you wouldn't have known that if you didn't ask. So uh, last part to my point is that also we're here to we're here to build friendships and I've loved this community since I've joined. So don't tell me to just send you an offer. Just hit me up on Voxer or something. Let's get a trade done. And uh, with that, I'll kick it to Carl for his bet peeve. That is a good one. And you could probably broaden that out to just non-active owners, owners that aren't mm-hmm. willing to be, you know, have have a line of communication with you. The, the, the worst thing you can have as an owner uh, is – people that won't trade at all or won't even be active. It's just not worth it. You want in fantasy league, the whole reason fantasy leagues were invented to begin with is there was a bunch of nerds like us that wanted to mimic NFL GMs. And what are, what do NFL GMs not do? They don't just sit on their hands and not try to make their team better. But you do catch that a little bit in, um, in fantasy leagues. And that's probably like the broadest definition of what any pet peeve I'll I'll be pretty specific and this doesn't um, kill lasting friendships by any means but it is just my one pet peeve is some people will use the trading block uh, and they will just put like their five worst players on it (laughs) Yep. and I'm like no I I figured you probably wanted to get something of of value for them but like the trading before you drop them yeah, right, exactly, before you drop them before the rookie draft. But, like, the way that I view the trading block and the way that I feel like everyone should view the trading block to make it most useful for everyone is make it like a yard sale. You don't have to have your best players on there, but have players on there that you're willing to move maybe for a little bit of a discount. If you're not willing to move someone on the trading block for at least perceived league value, like what most people think that player's worth, then why are they on the trading block? Like, for instance, if you have Adam Thielen, I'm just I'm just pulling a name out of a hat here, mm-hmm. and you put him on the trading block, but you want like way above what Adam Thielen's worth, why was he on the trading block in the first place? Because if you didn't put him on the trade block, I would assume you want more than what Adam Thielen's worth. So that that's my pet peeve. I mean, don't put players on the trading block that you're not willing to like actually actively listen to a reasonable trade for. Yep. And off to you, Chris, with our last pet peeve of the show. All right. And uh, at least for me, again, uh, coming from my personal experience, again, not having a ton of experience in Dynasty formats, um, I think it's uh, I think it, it's very 
it's poignant to understand uh, who in your league, like the knowledge base, like, you know, amongst the owners in your league, especially for me, because again, if I don't understand or if I don't have a firm grasp on the value of a player, uh, like a a pick versus a player and trying to trying to negotiate trades it might take a little bit longer than uh, than it might normally be for some of the folks that are a bit more savvy so uh just tossing trades my way like while i do while, while i like doing that i i prefer the the method that adam uh, that adam talked about where it's you know hey how do you feel about this player and that player you know and uh you know, how do you value this, you know, this player versus, you know, versus this pick or, you know, I want to try and put this deal together. What do you think about that? You know, the, the whole, you know, way, you know, I guess method or process uh, for, you know, for negotiating trades, I think is something that, you know, we're going to have to dive a little bit deeper into, but at least for, for me personally, it's one of my pet peeves where I receive a trade and it's like, okay, well, I want to send you, uh, you know, I want to try and counter with something, you know, but it's like, okay, well, you know, I thought my offer, my original offer was, you know, was fine. Uh, well, okay, but, you know, again, the way that I value, a pl- you know, the players or the way I value this trade is not the same as the way that you value this trade. So I want to try and negotiate and see if there's a way that we can come to an agreement. And typically whenever that's happened, uh, that, you know, the trade's just been completely rejected and then we just go off on our separate ways. So I think, again, once we get into this, this discussion later on in the series about, you know, uh, communication and communicating with uh, the other folks in the league, I think there's a, a necessarily, uh, not necessarily a better way to go about talking with the other folks in your league, but I think, a, you know, a more efficient way in order to get, in order to get trades done. So, uh, I think that's that would be one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to the, the dynasty community. Absolutely, yep. And uh, to wrap up the show, uh, thank you everybody for joining us. And I want to remind you, uh, Carl can be found on Twitter at Carl Safchik. Chris can be found at Chris Allen FFWX, and myself can be found at DHH underscore Adam. Uh, thank you so much for listening in, and if you enjoyed it, please tune in for part two, where we're going to get into all kinds of things. I mean, we're going to break down basically this overview down to its real real nitty-gritty and talk about um, our communication and things like that that you might not think so much about because we're so uh, stuck on you know evaluating these rookies and, and these trade values and things like that. So uh, make sure you tune in next time, and thank you very much for joining us, Carl. Absolutely. Thank you for thanking us, man. Absolutely. All right. Have a good one. All right. You guys take care.